Hey Jesse, as your time on staff here at OCC is sadly drawing to a close, we wanted to honor you and show our appreciation for your time here by sharing some of our favorite moments with you. Hey Jesse, uh, Carly and I just wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your uh, friendship and your encouragement in our walk with Christ and uh, all that you've done at OCC. And we're excited for you and your family as you move forward with your journey. Hey friend, be Ryan here gonna miss hearing that around the office. Guys, you got great things in store for you in this next chapter of life, and I can't wait to hear about it. Gonna miss you, bro. Hey, brother. Uh, man, I am so gonna miss you. Uh, I'm so thankful for uh, the time that you've shared here at OCC. You've made the staff as a whole a lot healthier and a lot better. You've made me as a minister uh, much sharper. And man, I, I just gotta say too, you've shown me uh, what it means to truly be a friend. Hey, Jesse. I just wanted to thank you for your part in making our family feel so welcome at OCC. We've appreciated your friendship and guidance. We wish you and your family nothing but the best in this next season of life. From the time we interviewed with you, we knew that if you came on staff, you would make us better. And you did. I want to thank you for what you've done for our staff, for our church, for me personally. Because of you, we have staff values and you've always held them. You've created the discipleship pathway. You've created the discipleship boot camp, And long from now, those are gonna be things that we're gonna be known for because those are part of our DNA. You have made us better. You have made me better. Thank you so much. And Jesse, I know there's been many occasions where people have confused you and I. Uh, and at first I found this very surprising because they didn't think we looked much alike. But when you really think about it, we do both have the same rugged good looks as Steve Rogers. So I can see that but you're the one that sounds like Mr. Rogers, so we're definitely different people. I'm really gonna miss our friendly banter, jumping out and scaring you, and I'll even miss coming back to my computer to find what ridiculous picture you have changed my computer background to. But I'll tell you what I won't miss. I'm not gonna miss you throwing wet paper towels at me. Hey Jesse, just wanted to thank you for um, letting my high school small group use your office, and um, we're still waiting on that pie. Hey Jesse, it's been really great getting to know you and Kayla over the last few years, um, having you at the church. I can actually remember the first time that I met you. I was sitting in the lobby with some of the women that I was in a small group with at the time. We were having coffee and you came right up to us and introduced yourself and asked all of us our names and something about our family and just different things about us. And I just remember being really impressed that from that point on you called me by name and I've heard you call pretty much everyone by name and you've just always made it seem so effortless to remember everyone's name. Jesse, my brother, thank you so much for being one of the most encouraging and genuine dudes I have ever met. You're an incredible friend. Even after I was the sole reason, I, you were locked out of your house and had to do a forced break and entry through your glass screen door. We're gonna miss you. Hey Jesse, just wanted to say how much I appreciate you and how you have blessed OCC. You have such a heart for discipleship, and it's been very evident over the past four years. Again, I guess thank you for who you are and what you bring to the staff week after week. And you have, again, just been such a tremendous and encourager to all of us. Jesse, we love you and we're gonna miss you so much, but we know that God is going to do incredible things through you. We can't wait to see where he takes you next. We're praying for your friend. Well, I did not know they did that. Um, 
So, well, yeah. I don't even know how to start after that, right? <sighs> yeah. It's a gift. Uh, could I pray for us? Mm. Well, Father, I, I thank you that uh, you're the one who shapes us. God, I think, think of the journey you've had me on in my life. And uh, the, the man I am today, and any interaction I've had with someone here at OCC is only because of you. It's only because of the way that you loved me and the way that you chose me and the way that you love each of these people and you choose them. It's only because of you. And God, I just thank you. I thank you that we get to participate in that and that we get to be yours. Lord, would you speak to us this morning and shape us, mold us. We want to be more like you. We want to become more like you today, Jesus, and every day. Thank you for your work in us, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, well, now that they did that to us all, uh, who can we blame for that? You, John? Can we blame you for those tears? <laughs> um, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> And happy Christmas. I, I love that the Christmas trees are up for my, my last sermon because I love Christmas. Anyone else have their Christmas stuff up from like, wait, 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 you might not agree with this yet. Like early November? Early November? Yes. Okay. Any, no, only one person? Wow. Okay. Well, I'm kind of on the fringes here. But uh, for weeks, I've been drinking my peppermint mocha creamer under the light of the Christmas tree while my cat cuddles with me. So I uh, threw out my man card a long time ago. Uh, it's not a very manly thing to admit, but I, I love it. I love Christmas. I love traditions. Uh, I love the holidays as a whole. But one of the things that's a tradition in many holidays, and for many of us, are meals, right? We sit down to meals together. We share meals with our family. You probably, who shared a meal with their family this past week or someone in your life, uh, we, we eat big meals together. We humans, we love to eat. Anyone else here love to eat? Give me an amen if you like to eat. Yeah, all right. Yeah. We love to eat. I don't know what it is necessarily about food, uh, but it brings us together. It's a commonality. I'm not sure if I've ever met someone who doesn't eat, right? We all eat. And when we get around a table and enjoy a meal together, it, it brings us together. At, at meals, sometimes we, uh, we catch up on life or we sit in silence, depending on your family, uh, or we say awkward things to each other that maybe we regret saying afterward. Uh, but we've all eaten meals together, and maybe you've even been asked the question, what would you eat for your last meal? What would you eat for your last meal. But if you got to decide, like, what would you eat? People on death row do get to decide that. Um, they know their final meal is coming. They uh, get to decide. But what would you eat for your last meal? I want you to turn to your neighbor. Tell them, what would you eat for your last meal? I mean, seriously, do it. 
right, do we have any creative ones out there? Any, any really bizarre ones? I'd be super curious to hear if there are. Uh, yeah, you in the green. What was? McDonald's. McDonald's, all right. <laughs> Let's go. Can anyone beat that? <laughs> uh, you, got the, you got fine, refined taste, my man. Refined taste. So imagine with me. You're sitting down for your last meal, McDonald's, <laughs> and uh, at this meal, what becomes important to you? What becomes important to you at that meal? What matters? What's actually significant when you only have one meal left to share? Now imagine at this last meal, the people in your life that are nearest and dearest to your heart are sitting around the table with you. Who would be there? Who would be around that table with you? What does it feel like as you look around the table into their eyes? You reflect on the memories that you've shared together. Now imagine with me that no one else in the room knows that it's your last meal with them. But you know, you have some kind of inside knowledge that this would be the last meal you'd share and they don't know it. What would you want to communicate to them? What would that experience be like? Now, if you were on the other side of that table, this was your last meal with someone and you had no idea that it was, you would go on like normal, right? Uh, awkward things would be said. I mean, imagine your average Thanksgiving meal together as a family, right? Um, family tensions, people bickering, or saying things, or avoiding saying things, or passing around like passive-aggressive statements, like you pass the gravy, you know, just like stuff gets flying. But we've all shared a last meal with someone and maybe didn't know that it was our last meal, and, and maybe even said things that we regret at that last meal. Well, today, we're going to step into a meal in Scripture that uh, has all of this present. All of the emotions and experiences I just talked about are present at this meal. The air's thick with a tension that you could carve through with a Thanksgiving turkey carving knife, right? The air's thick. One person knows it's the end, surrounded by loved ones. Everyone else carries on like normal, and they say some really dumb things. So, uh, if you would, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back of the seat in front of you. Luke 22 is where we're going to be in a bit. But throughout this year, we have been teaching through the gospel of Luke, the gospel, the good news, uh, told through the, the lens of the Dr. Luke. It describes this upside-down kingdom that Jesus was establishing in the world. Jesus taught wild things, like love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. Or whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and die for me. He also did wild things, like he touched a leper 
to heal them. He brought in people that were marginalized on the fringes of society, and he showed them that they matter. Jesus instituted an upside-down kingdom. And so Jesus, he began his ministry with this bold declaration in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 4, where this is kind of like the mission statement of his life, but it's also a prophecy from the gospel, or not the gospel, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. And so it said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus, he, he sits down and he reads this from a scroll. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. For centuries, the Jewish people, they had longed for, they looked for a Messiah, someone to save them, to rescue them, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And they were looking for someone who'd come with military might and save them, their Messiah. Well, right after Jesus quotes this scripture, He says, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. Jesus claims to be the Messiah, but he ends up being not what anyone expected. This upside down picture of what anyone expected. But the history of Israel, uh, it it was plagued with oppression and hardship up until the point in history that we're talking about, and so they wanted rescuing. In all of their history, they faced hardship and persecution. For example, hundreds of years before uh, Isaiah, the prophet, they'd been enslaved by Egypt for over 400 years. And it was only through the miraculous work of God that they were set free. God used Moses to bring 10 plagues to the oppressive nation of Egypt. And in this final plague, every firstborn in the nation of Egypt died, except those that followed God's command and they put the blood of a spotless lamb over the the tops of the doors, the sides of their doors, These homes were passed over. They were spared from the plague. And so to remember this Passover, this moment in time where God had to bring pain in order to bring freedom, the Jewish people, they began eating a meal. They began eating a meal every year in which they commemorated the Passover. This Passover, it was celebrated in the spring on the 14th day of the seventh month of the Jewish year. And so it was a great banquet, a big celebration where they had to get prepared for it. They purchased an unblemished lamb and the other food necessary for the meal. They sacrificed the lamb at the temple, roasted the lamb, arranged the room with couches and pillows to recline on. They got the wine to drink and made sure that everything was set and in order for this commemorative celebratory meal. And so this is the meal. This is the meal that's happening when we step into the scene in Luke chapter 22. So the disciples are all coming together. And the the Gospel of John actually tells us that Jesus greeted them by washing their feet. 
by taking on the nature of a servant and washing their feet. It, that, that was not something that the, the host of a meal would do. And again, Jesus does everything upside down. And so this meal, it starts off already awkward and confusing, but imagine that you are one of the disciples sitting at the table with Jesus for the Passover meal to remember this time in history when God brought freedom from pain. You're sitting down at the table with him. You are one of his loved ones, and you're joining him for Passover. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired this pass, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew this was the beginning of the end for him. He was about to suffer, and he even told that to his disciples, but for some reason, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They kept going on like normal. Jesus knew this was the last meal he would share with these individuals that he'd grown to love like family. Imagine what it was like for Jesus looking around into his disciples' eyes, knowing that this was the last meal he'd share with them. This was his goodbye. But they didn't know it. So Jesus continues in verse 17. After taking the cup... He gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from, drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, the kingdom of God that Jesus has referenced here twice, uh, what's he talking about? He says the kingdom of God will find its fulfillment. The kingdom of God will come. What does Jesus mean? So first we need to understand that prophecies in scripture often have a now but not yet fulfillment. So in other words, the prophecy gets fulfilled in the now or in the short term, but it will get fulfilled in more fullness at a later time. So Jesus here, he's speaking in two parts. First, that the kingdom of God would come, and it came when Jesus died and rose again. The kingdom of God came to earth when Jesus ascended into heaven but also the kingdom of God was yet to reach its full fulfillment, and it, it is yet still at his second coming. But in other words, when Jesus died and he rose again, he changed everything. He established a new reality for all people because the kingdom of God came, and it is yet to fully come. And so, Jesus chose to institute this new reality with a new meal. He continues in verse 19. And he took bread, that's Jesus, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He gave thanks. He, he broke bread, 
gave it to his disciples and told them to eat it in remembrance of him. And then he took some wine and told them that this wine was blood of the new covenant. Drink it and remember him. So in the Old Testament, in the history of Israel, the people of God lived under a covenant with God, an agreement with him where they had to make ritual sacrifices in order to be cleansed of their sin. There was this giant list of laws and behaviors and rituals that they needed to do in order to be right with God, in order to be righteous. That was their covenant. And now, if they didn't follow the law, they would face condemnation. Many of us kind of slip into this old covenant mentality where we begin to measure our spiritual life by a list of do's and don'ts, by a world of laws and regulations that we think that if we can only keep them, we can be good enough for God. But Jesus said he was establishing a new covenant by his blood, a new agreement between humanity and God, where no longer would a person be measured by their works, by their righteousness, but instead they would be measured by the righteousness of Christ. His sacrifice was once for all. In Peter said it this way in 1 Peter. He said, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God. This is the new covenant, the mission of Christ's life, to die for you and to bring you to God, to die for you and to bring you to God. So Jesus is sitting down at this meal with his disciples. They have no clue. He talks of suffering, he talks of a new kingdom, he talks of a new covenant, and they're clueless. As a matter of fact, Jesus even mentions that there's a betrayer among them. And then they, they all start questioning who it is, and then a little bit later, they start bickering amongst each other about which one of them is the best. Like, who among us is the greatest? At this final meal with Jesus, his disciples start arguing about who's better than the others. And so at this final meal with his closest loved ones, they don't understand him. One of them betrays him, and they all start arguing about who's the best. In this meal, where Jesus was establishing a new reality for all of humanity, the disciples totally miss it. And Jesus had to walk through it all virtually alone. When Jesus is weeping and praying and sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew what he was about to suffer, his disciples fell asleep. To be honest, like in my years of church leadership, I wonder how many of us are just completely distracted from what Jesus has done for us. That, that what Jesus did. We start bickering about the stupidest of things. We get caught up in our own world, our own stuff, our own possessions, our own success. We get distracted by all these things of the world and we miss him. He's sitting right in front of us. He has a message for us to hear and we miss him. Or we ignore him. It's too, maybe it's too uncomfortable. It's too hard to actually engage with what Jesus wants of us 
Uh, so, I mean, I'll do the things of church. I'll live kind of under the old covenant, but I won't be made new. Or maybe you've honestly just been around Jesus in the church for a long time. You've heard the message of Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection so many times that you can't even remember when you first heard it. You're familiar with this story. And maybe like the disciples, you've kind of fallen asleep, gotten bored of it. You've lost the significance and the magnitude of Jesus' death and resurrection that no one else could ever do what Jesus did. No one greater ever lived or ever will live. No one could have paid the price that Jesus paid because he was the perfect spotless lamb. Perhaps we've lost the sight that without Jesus, we are destined for hell. But for so many of us, myself included, we get bored. We get bored of Jesus. We get caught up in our own world. We get complacent and we go on with our normal lives, unchanged, caught up in ourselves, forgetting who Jesus is and what he has done. And even though he's sitting right in front of us, we miss him. I think God knows how prone to forget the human race is. He had so many meals for the Jewish people that were all about remembering remembering the God who delivered them. And so Jesus, he instituted this new meal, what we now call communion. In order to help us remember the sacrifice that was paid for us, the pain that he endured for us, the love that he has for us, then the new reality, the new covenant that he's calling us into so that we could remember that he died for us and he brings us to God. Something that I have so loved about being a dad to Cohen is seeing the way he experiences the world. It's all new to him, right? It's all fresh, it's all alive, it all is interesting. He takes it all in. And my, my I implore you, to start to look at the story of Jesus with a newborn's eyes again, to, to say, oh, Jesus, I can't believe you do that for me. In spite of having heard the story a hundred or a thousand times before, let it become new and fresh to you again of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That through his pain, he brought freedom. And through this death, he established a new agreement, a new covenant between humanity and God. Jesus died, and we get to live. Jesus died, and we get to live. How unjust is that? That we who deserve to die are given life, because the one who deserved to live died. That is the new covenant. <laughs> and that's the meaning of communion. That is the good news of Jesus. That is the very thing that can change your life forever. And so we're going to share a meal with Jesus now, the communion meal. You can get out your 
communion cups. This meal where we remember him. Where we remember him. And even though his disciples, they didn't, re- they didn't realize what he was about to do, we know it. We recognize it. And Jesus, we won't fall asleep on you. Come to the table. Come to the table. Sit down with Jesus and remember him. What does he want to speak into your life at the table today? What would Jesus say to you if you were sitting down at the table to share communion with him today? Maybe that you're unconditionally and radically loved by him. Maybe that you're fully forgiven no matter what is in your past. Maybe that you need to die to yourself and live a new life. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to give you some time to reflect on it. What does Jesus want to speak into your life today at the table? Over these next few minutes, the worship team will be playing a song. And you can sit with Jesus. I want you to take communion at your own time, at your own pace during this song. Take the bread and the cup whenever you're ready. But as you do, remember this this bread. It reminds us of the man, the body of the man who paid everything for you. And the cup represents his blood and the new covenant that he invites you into. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so prone to forget. We are so prone to live in our own world, our own minds, and forget the love and sacrifice that you have for us. And, and not only that, Jesus, but we become just, it becomes ordinary to us. So ordinary that we lose sight of our need for you. We lose sight of the gravity of it all. And we just ask, Lord, that you would make it new to us again today. Make your sacrifice, your death, your resurrection new to us again today because you are the Messiah who came into this world to institute a new kingdom, your kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it's this upside down kingdom that changes everything for us. Lord, would you change us with that message? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray together. Amen. So during this next song, take, take time, take communion when you're ready.